You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you would ask me how you can live in the next hour, I would say breathe. Now, obviously, if you're going to live for longer, you have to eat, eat and drink liquids and all those things. We know those things. But I would just simply say breathe, just breathe. Someone might say, but I don't want to breathe. What's my other option? And I would probably say, well, I ain't had no medical training, (laughs) but I think you're out of luck. I mean, I think breathe is the answer, and there's no other way around that. You've got to do that. If you ask me how to have a spiritual life, the answer is basically that simple. I would say, you have to believe. And you might say, but I don't want to believe. I I want to know God. I want to have heaven's rewards in a different way. And I'd say, I think think there is no other way. And that's what we're studying today. The Apostle Paul, as we learned last week, talked about the righteousness that we receive in Jesus Christ. And some people say, but I don't want to believe. And then you study the wrath of God and you see why unbelievers reject God and replace him. And that's, that's where we're headed today. It's no fun studying the wrath of God. We all know that, but it's important. In fact, something you should know is that the wrath of God is talked more about in the Bible than the love of God. Now we are all about the love of God and rightfully so, but we need to be faithful and teach about his wrath. It's no fun, but it's important. And so that's where we're headed today as we dig into the next section, verses 18 to 25 of Romans chapter one. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and I have encouraged you to keep the same Bible. In case you memorize anything, you just you know, can always stay in the same translation. And sermon notes, you have the paper ones or you have your Uh, you know, one's on the church app, your digital notes, if you'd rather follow along that way. Let's dig into God's word together. And as we do, a couple things I'll share with you. Number one, thank you so much for your response to our survey, our online survey last week. Uh, We've had over 400 responses well over that. uh, And it's so helpful. But if you sometimes use the online service when you're traveling or when you're ill or whatever, or if you regularly use it, use it most all the time, We'd love to have your feedback. It's only five questions, very easy to do. On the back of the sermon notes, you can scan the QR code or you can go to your church app or website. Love to have you do this because the more responses we have, the better we can make our online service. So thank you for that. Secondly, tonight we are going back to something we used to do faithfully before COVID. Every quarter we would get together on a Sunday evening without any intent of taking notes or studying a passage, but just to focus on worship and prayer. And, and tonight, a theme of thankfulness, what it means at this season of the year for Christians to be thankful. And so tonight at 6.30 here in the worship center, we'll be meeting. You're welcome to join us. It lasts less than an hour, but it'll be a, a wonderful time just to connect your heart with Lord's heart and with each other's. Okay. 
There are two things we've learned in this series. The series ends today, so I'll say it one last time. Number one, God's eternal qualities are easily seen by anyone who chooses to see them. You can be anywhere on the planet, basically, and you can see a sunrise, a sunset. You can see a beautiful landscape. You can look at the stars and you go, wow, there must be a God. And when you see this God, you can even learn a little bit about his qualities. He's orderly, for instance. He's powerful. And so you can look at the world and go, wow, there's a God. And secondly, if you choose to trust in this God, whose son's name is Jesus the Christ, you get Christ's righteousness. You become perfect in God's sight. Now, I know you and I go, I'm, I'm far from perfect. I know, I am too, far from it. But God takes this lens and he holds it over you and looks at you through the lens. You know what the lens is? It's Jesus. And since Jesus was perfect, he holds that lens up and you are perfection. What a blessing. What a joy. It's something we don't deserve, but boy, we're so thankful for. Well, last week we learned six things that I want to just quickly remind you of, and then we'll get into today's text. Number one, Paul thanked the people of Rome for their faithful witness. He says, I, I travel the whole world and everywhere I go, people say, man, those people from Rome, they're godly. And Paul says, I want you to know I pray for you all the time, but I have another prayer too. My other prayer is that I can come to visit you. By the way, after he wrote this letter, Paul got to visit Rome multiple times. So God answered the prayers. Secondly, among his many good reasons to visit Rome, Paul's number one reason was to preach the gospel. That's what preachers want to do. They want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what he did. Number three, according to Paul, the gospel is God's power. I told you the word last week in the Greek is dunamos. That's where we get our word dynamite. This dynamite of the gospel is so powerful that it takes the life of someone and turns it upside down. I hope that you have had that experience in seeing that, not only in yourself, but in someone else. It's always so encouraging. Sometimes there are people in your life you go, well, God could change anyone but him. <laughs> There's not always that exception. And yet sometimes God grabs a hold of that person and just turns them around and you go, wow, that's the power Paul was talking about. Fourthly, this power is received as a free gift of salvation. That's hard for some people. Nothing comes free. But this does, if you believe. Now, real quickly, I said this last week, there are a lot of people who wanna read this if you behave, if you're a good person, if you're better than 50% of the people in the world, you'll make it kind of thing. Some people wanna read it belongs, if you belong to the right church, the right family, or if you bestow, if you give your money, if you give more than half your salary or your income to charity, well, certainly you'll make it. No, no. It says, for anyone who believes, it's a free gift. Number five, when a person truly believes this righteousness is imparted to him, simply said again, God the Father will take this lens, and every time he looks at you, he will look through that lens and go, perfect. I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful. Number six, this was always the plan of God. 
Old and New Testament. People say in the Old Testament, God was wrath. and the New Testament, God is grace. And I say, I don't think you're reading the whole Bible. Because the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God is grace and wrath in the Old Testament. He's grace and wrath in the New Testament. This is one place in Habakkuk where he says, the righteous person will live by faith. Exactly what Paul's saying. So it's always been the plan. Okay, real quick overview before we read these two sections. Number one, these verses 18 to 25 begin to unpack that topic, as I've mentioned already, of the wrath of God. It's an uncomfortable topic for people. But when you talk about righteousness, peace, remember we just been talking about that benediction, grace and peace. When you talk about those things, you have to talk about wrath or you're not being complete. So verse 17, note this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, he doesn't even wait a verse. The very next verse, the wrath of God is being revealed. So when you have one, you always have to expect the other. God is perfect, he is perfection, he is righteous, but he is also a God of wrath. This is the kind of the screen title slide that we've been using this whole series and it just looks nice, it feels good. Righteousness revealed, that's us. And I thought if we did it, wrath revealed, be like that and it's like, ooh, that doesn't feel good, right? That just, that's like, ow, that's the wrath of God. Secondly, God's righteousness was the focus of the previous verse and so now we have to deal with how perfection deals with imperfection. If God is perfect and someone steps into his presence who is in sin, God has to respond. So he gave us the righteousness, but those who don't receive it, who choose not to believe, they're gonna get the wrath because God has no choice. That is his nature. That's who he is. Number three, this is something that I probably don't even need to show you, but I thought maybe you'd enjoy it. We're, we're gonna... Stop the Roman series as of today. The next couple of weeks, we've got some really unique, fun things I think you'll enjoy for our services. Then we move into our Christmas series. We're not coming back to Romans till January 8th, Lord willing. So I have to think, where am I going with this? So my job is to sit and kind of outline the whole passage. And let me show you what that looks like. I know this is not something maybe you're interested in, but maybe you can kind of see where we're headed. It maybe will help you. So these verses are the beginning of a really deep study of sin. I mean, repulsive sin. I didn't want to do that during the Christmas season. I didn't think we'd really enjoy Christmas if we came and talked about repulsive sin every weekend. So that's why we're just gonna move it to January. We'll start the new year with sin, okay? <laughs> and there are four things you should know, says Paul. Number one. The rejection of God and his wrath is what a lot of people do. We'll read that today, verses 18 to 21. People reject him. Secondly, the replacement of God with images. When you reject God, you will replace him because we are a people who needs to worship. So we'll find something else to worship. We're gonna do that today. Thirdly, the repulsiveness of man's sin. Now, this is what will start in January, and he breaks it into four parts. The Gentiles, the Gentiles' sin. 
10 verses on that. Then he moves to the moral people, people who say, I'm a good person. And Paul says, no, you're not. Nobody is. And then he moves to the Jewish people. And he says, this is the problem in their sin. And then to cover everybody, he says, let me make sure you understand. The entire human race is guilty. In fact, we get to verse 23 that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So, so we're all sinners. That's where we're headed in January. And then we'll conclude this section with verses 21 to 31. And we, de- we deal with Christ's righteousness. And if I read it to you, let me read that to you. The very last verse we'll do in that section. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between the Jew and Gentile. And you go, man, I feel like I heard that somewhere before. Yeah, you heard it last week, right? As we looked at verses 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, everyone who believes, believes to the first, first of the Jew, then to the Gentile, the Jew and the Gentile, the gospel of righteousness, righteousness. So, so he takes basically the exact same words to start the section and to end the section so you can bookend it and you go, oh, okay, that's what we're studying in this section. So now let's study it. Verses 18 all the way down to verse 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are Without any excuses, there is no excuse for not seeing God. So let's just unpack this. As we've all learned, Paul writes in such a rich way, you can't just read it. You got to kind of study it. So what's he say? Number one, because of God's righteousness, his wrath is constantly revealed to anybody who chooses not to believe or who is unrighteous. He calls those people the godless and the wicked. By the way, we're all godless and wicked. But if you've chosen to believe, God doesn't see you that way. But anyone who doesn't believe, well, his wrath is on the way. This is a common theme in the Old and New Testaments. As I've already said, people think it's only wrath in the Old Testament, only grace in the New. Totally wrong, totally false. In fact, anytime you read about God's love, you will read about God's wrath. You may not even have thought about this, but... Probably the first verse of scripture you ever learned. The the verse that we love to talk about or quote because of God's love. You you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not, right, perish. That's wrath. So in other words, in the midst of his love, he reminds us of his wrath. Because those who don't believe, they will perish. I don't have like an exclusive take on this, but I thought last week, how does God show wrath? And I began to kind of list those things and I came up with seven ways. Now, you're not gonna find this same list anywhere. This is my list. You might find better lists, more complete lists, but I thought it might be helpful to you to understand what does wrath look like? So I'll show you some. God's first wrath, the initial wrath, will be found in the beginning of the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve Sin. Now, Adam and Eve had a wonderful relationship, a perfect relationship with God, but they sinned, and once they sinned, that relationship was broken, and God's wrath was 
revealed. By the way, every one of us since Adam and Eve have been born into sin. So we are part of that initial wrath. Secondly, his catastrophic wrath. There are times when God had to erase whole groups of people like the flood and Noah or like Sodom and Gomorrah when fire brimstone rained down or in the wilderness. Remember in the wilderness when the Jewish people were moving toward the promised land and they complained and God just opened the earth, made a big crack in the earth and people fell in and the crack closed. Do you remember what happened right after that? The people right beside him complained. I'm like, please don't do that if I'm standing beside you. I don't want to fall into the earth, but that's what God did. By the way, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, but let's look at New Testament. Jesus had three synagogues where he did his regular teaching. Some of you know them, Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. Those were the three he spent time in. When he left the Galilee to go to the cross, he cursed all three of them and said, you won't even, you won't even exist because you have rejected me. It happened. His natural wrath. This is the wrath of God where people bring it on themselves because of the universal principles. There's certain things that we know that if you do certain things and keep doing them, you will pay sometimes a very deadly price. And God said, these are the things I put into place. You know not to do them. But if you do them, in fact, Galatians says, a man reaps what he sows. You do it if you want to, but you're going to pay. The fourth kind of his wrath is called abandonment wrath. I'll call it that. Abandonment wrath, where the Bible says God turned them over. Because they wouldn't believe, because they wouldn't obey, he turned them over. That's the phrase often used. And we see multiple times where he left. He left the nation of Israel here in 1 Samuel. And it said that a woman gave birth to a baby, named him Ichabod, because it was what was happening in Israel. The glory of the Lord was departing, abandoning. Saul, Samson, both had the spirit of the Lord depart from them. And some of you go, wow, could that happen to me? I believe, but could I, could I lose it? And I, I, I don't think that's something you need to worry about because when Jesus, or when God tells us in the book of Isaiah, the last part of Isaiah about his new covenant, which is where we are today, he says this, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit who is in you will not depart from you. So, so if you have his Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry about that. But God still takes his spirit from a nation, his blessings from a people. I think that happens, can happen to America. Number five is his redemptive wrath. We just sang a song where you saw those words, they were highlighted. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. So all the wrath that should have come pouring onto me went pouring onto Christ. And I get a free pass. You go, wow, that's not fair. No, it's not. And you have to think, well, I, I'm kind of happy with that deal, but Jesus shouldn't be. Right, but he is because he wanted to buy you back. Lots of verses about this. I'll just use Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? So in other words, Jesus got the wrath, I don't. Number six, his final earthly wrath. The final earthly wrath, we talk about the last seven years, the trial and tribulation period. You're well aware of that, I'm sure. 
And uh, in that trial and tribulation period, there are four sets of seven. One of those four sets is the seven bowls of wrath that will be poured out on the earth. And then you all know his final and eternal wrath, that's hell. That's called the lake of fire. And that's the one that is permanent. Now, that's how God's wrath is poured out. And I'm sure there's probably other ways, but I just want you to understand kind of the big topic. Now, just in case you're sitting here worried, believers will not face this wrath. We, we learn that in multiple places, but I'll just read to you from 1 Thessalonians. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. So if you're a believer, you don't get this wrath. You don't have to worry about this wrath, but you should know how it works. Now, the wicked deny the truth about God, even though it's obvious for anyone who looks around. You look around at this world and you go, wow, it is plain to see, says Paul. And then he says in the next verse, because God has made it plain to them. Plain. To, you, you can't miss it if you want to look for it. The Old Testament multiple times says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you look at this world and you go, ah, I don't think this, I don't think there's a God. I think this just happened. Bible says you're a fool. Thirdly, the attributes of God are undeniable. You look at the world, you go, there's order, there's not chaos, there's beauty, there's creativity. I'm a scuba diver. And I'll tell you, I go down and look at some of those fish and I go, why God did you make that one? They are so different. But you go, it just didn't happen. This is, this is a plan. Now, there are many people today in our world who believe in ex nihilo, that it, whole world came out of nothing. And, and I just want you to know, I mean, if that's what you believe, I just simply want you to know that to me, that takes way more faith than there's a God. That it all just happened by accident, I don't get it. That takes more faith. I, I was with a gentleman just a few months ago, had lunch with him. He's an atheist, he and I are friends. We've had wonderful times together. We don't usually talk about faith things, but that day we talked about things in the issue of creation. And, and he, you know, said again that he doesn't believe in the creation of the world, that it, you know, there was a big bang and it all exploded. And I just pressed him a little bit and I said, now, let's say you're right. There was a big bang, this ball burst because of the energy that impacted it and that's the expanding of our universe. Let me ask you this question. Where did the ball of mass come from? Where did the energy come from that made it happen? And I'll quote you his exact words. I don't care. That's what he said, I don't care. You see, Christians can't say that. We always have to try to prove in scripture everything we believe. I don't care. Well, I care. Because I think that takes way more faith. Now, that's the whole issue of the creation of God. By the way, something you should note, and this is always true in the Bible, when someone would witness to a Jew, where do they start? In the Old Testament, the Word of God. You pull up the Old Testament and say, see, this is how it was supposed to happen, it happened. But if you witness to a Gentile, Paul did this all the time, where do you start? Well, you don't have a Bible, you don't have an Old Testament for them. So you always begin with creation. Many times Paul does this. I'll show you one. Paul is on the big rock called Mars Hill in Athens. And he's talking to the most brilliant people on the planet. At least they thought they were. These were, you know, bright, bright, educated people. And he wants to tell them about God. What does he say? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord. That's the one. 
You see, that's where you start with people who don't have that biblical background. Because that's how you know God. You just see him. You see the world. Now, if you don't accept him, then you'll replace him. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being or birds or animals. That's actual translated four-footed things. And or reptiles, and that word means creeping things, crawling things. So if you don't accept God, you will replace. So when men reject God, first of all, confusion and darkness reigns because they've started at the wrong premise. If you do a whole lot of math and you start with the premise that two plus two equals three, all your math will be wrong because you began with the wrong premise. That's what Paul's saying here. You see, if they start with the premise that there is no God, everything they think, all of their wisdom will become foolish. Let me read this to you. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In other words, they didn't put him first. So their thinking became futile, it will happen, and their foolish hearts were darkened and they'll have no joy. Because if you leave God out of your equation, that's what will that's what'll happen to you. Although they claimed to be wise, verse 22 says, they became fools. Now, I want you to note this because people can be born without a big IQ. And sometimes, you know, we'll say more foolish. And sometimes people, and you know them, I know them, who don't want to study, don't want to read or anything, they just choose to live foolishly because they have not put the effort in. And then there are the people who are really, really wise and became fools. Now, that's an odd one. These are the people who start without God as their premise. And so they claim to be wise and they become fools. Here's the word for fool in the Greek. I'll, I'll say it to you, morino. You know what it is, right? Our word Moron. They thought they were so smart, but they were morons because they chose to reject God. Ouch. By the way, I just say this. I, I don't hold to this, but I just tell you something that you, you may be aware of. There are some denominations, there are some churches who will not allow their young pastors to go to seminary because they're so afraid they'll become so wise that they'll become fools that they'll go there and they'll replace God with something else and they'll become foolish. Now, I don't hold to that. I believe we should be educated and trained, but I know that oftentimes there is a danger of finding something else as God. Because mankind is designed to worship, man will come up with something else to worship. It could be money, it could be sports, it could be family. I don't think most Americans worship anything made of hands, you know, that, that, that it's man-made. I don't think we do that mostly. But people will replace the true God, and typically they'll do it in this order. You notice how Paul listed it? With human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. They exchange the glory of God for images made to look like humans, birds, animals, Reptiles. By the way, that's the Egyptian culture. 
They began to worship so many idols, they started with man and moved all the way down to crawling things. That's the Roman Empire who started with worshiping of the statues of man, the Caesar, so forth, and moved all the way down to the creeping, crawling things. Now, I am not suggesting that we in America do that. However, I do know that it's the pattern of man. Now, I'm not saying any of you worship your cars. I could give you multiple illustrations. I'm gonna give you just one. I'm not saying any of you worship your cars. If you do, you deal with that, right? But do you ever think about how we've named cars? Like all the first cars, all of them basically, were named for men. Ford, Cadillac, Chevrolet, DeSoto, GMC, the Grabowski brothers were the GMC, Grabowski Motor Vehicle. So it, it's all, all named for men. You can go on and on with that. And then in the 50s, 60s, we began to replace the name of cars with birds. Things like the Skylark, the Roadrunner, the Blackhawk, the Falcon, the Bluebird, and again, you can keep going. And then about that time, and as we then kind of kept going, we started naming them for four-footed creatures. Things like the Bobcat, the Bronco, my favorite, the Charger, the Impala, the Jaguar, for those of you who think I'm not gonna say it, Mustang. Ah. All those four-footed creatures, they were next. And do you know what the most recent cars have been named? The Cobra and the Viper? You see, we don't start with the reptiles. We start with men and we move to reptiles. And that's true if you think about how baseball teams are named or basketball teams are named. You can go on and on with this. It's the pattern of man. I'm not saying you worship those things. I'm just saying Paul was telling us the pattern that we have. And it's true. God knew that we would do this, and so he said in the very first commandment, there are 10 commandments, right? The very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. Heaven above, the earth beneath, the waters below. Man, birds, animals, reptiles. Don't do it, says God. The number one commandment, because that's where we'll go. <clears throat> Therefore, says Paul, when Paul says therefore, pay attention because this is important, right? Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. The amen is, means the end of this section. But we're gonna go back and pick it up right here. January, and we're going to continue this study of sin. And as, we, as long as we understand it, maybe it'll become repulsive to us as well. A powerful passage of Scripture. I'm going to invite our worship team up. They're going to lead us in singing here in just a moment. But as they come, there's just a couple things I want to close with. You don't have these in your notes. You don't have to write anything down. Just, just want to make you aware of this. If I had to take last week's sermon and boil it down to a sentence, it would be this. If you believe, you will have righteousness and a relationship with God. If you believe, you're in. What have we learned today? I'm going to break it down to three lines. Number one, we've learned that if you reject God, you will see his wrath. You can't help it. It, it will happen. It's God's nature. Number one, you'll see his wrath. Number two, if you reject him, you will then replace him with something else. Everybody does. I'm not saying you'll bow before an idol. 
but you will worship something. That's who we are. And what will end up happening is you will end up in religion. And religion is the worst end of man. Now, you've been here a while. If you've been here at Emmanuel for years, you, you've heard me say many times, I hate religion. I hate it. I have, even have people tell me after service sometimes, you shouldn't say hate. God says hate, right? God hates it. I hate it. And sometimes people say to me, are you a religious person? And I say, absolutely not. Then they find out I'm a pastor. And they try to justify that. And I, I, I wish I could explain to everybody, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that has no rituals, no rules, I am not involved in a religion. But what happens to people who reject God, sometimes we think, well, if you move up, you'll become religious. No, no, no. If you reject God, you'll move down, and the very end, the very worst thing that could happen to you is you'll become religious. And then you'll miss it. So I started this way. If you ask me how to have a physical life right now, I'd say breathe, just breathe, keep breathing. But if you ask me how to have a spiritual life, I'd say there's one thing, just believe. That's the only answer. If you don't do it, it's wrath.